Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. At that time, the Lord appointed 72 others, whom he sent ahead of him in pairs to every town and place he intended to visit. He said to them, The harvest is abundant, but the laborers are few. So ask the master of the harvest to send out laborers for his harvest. Go on your way. Behold, I am sending you like lambs among wolves. Carry no money bag, no sack, no sandals, and greet no one along the way. Into whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this household. If a peaceful person lives there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Stay in the same house and eat and drink what is offered to you, for the laborer deserves his payment. Do not move about from one house to another. Whatever town you enter and they welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God is at hand for you. Whatever town you enter and they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say, The dust of your town that clings to our feet, even that we shake off against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God is at hand. I tell you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom on that day than for that town. The seventy-two returned rejoicing and said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us because of your name. Jesus said, I have observed Satan fall like lightning from the sky. Behold, I have given you the power to tread upon serpents and scorpions, and upon the full force of the enemy, and nothing will harm you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice, because the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice, because your names are written in heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. Just outside the door of St. John's Seminary where I teach, there's a rock that's embedded in the ground. I'm assuming it has been there since the first ice age, and I don't think anyone's going to budge it anytime soon, and it's probably going to end up there when the next ice age. Now, if you drew an imaginary line between the first ice age and the second ice age, that would represent a timeline that that represents the existence of this rock. Now, somewhere along this timeline is my existence. There it is, just pops up, and then, poof, it disappears. The rock has a line that determines its existence. I get a dot. I'm just a dot on a timeline. That's it. That's just time. Consider space. So Dad and I went up to the deep woods of Maine, and he hunts, I fish. We call it the blast and cast getaway. And my father always gets up around 3.30 in the morning so he can get out in the woods before first light. So the first morning he gets up and he wakes me up and he says, Peter, you got to get out there and see the stars. Well, of course, I don't want to get out of bed because I'm tired and it's cold outside. But I'm glad I did because when I went out there, because we were in the dark woods of Maine, I looked up and I, I, couldn't, I never saw so many stars in my life. I said, where did all these stars come from? My father said, never mind where they came from, who put them there? 
And as I stood underneath all of these stars, I began to feel like a little speck in the universe. So here's my question today. How does a dot on the timeline and a speck in the universe have any value? How does a speck and a dot have importance? How can a dot or a speck, a poof, make an impact in history or in the universe? Well, that's the question that the Israelites were asking when they got back to Jerusalem. So there they were. They're trying to rebuild Jerusalem. It was destroyed by the Babylonians. It was a complete wreck, and they wanted to restore it once again. And so they started the effort, but things were not going very well. First of all, they had a drought, so they were more scrambling, trying to find a little bit of food than they were building. And then the neighbors, they, they, were, they were coming in and walking all over them and stealing from them because they had no protective walls because they haven't rebuilt them because of the famine. And so they're starting to question their value. They're going to say, well, we used to be a nation. Now from 12 tribes, we're only one tribe. The one tribe has one city. It's destroyed. And then how is it possible that a destroyed city of a little group of us are going to have any importance? How is it possible that we can have any value? How are we supposed to be the light of all the nations like we were promised? It's a good question. God answered the question in the first reading of Isaiah. And his answer is this. Demand determines value. Demand determines value. The more something is in demand, the more valuable it is. That's how we get valuable things. So we started the light project, and we were, I got the, we installed the light fixtures, and I needed casters to move the scaffolding from one section to the other section. And even if I wanted to buy them, which were very expensive, they would not be available for months. So just by a coincidence, I called my father, because he has a barn full of stuff, and I asked him if he had any casters. He had a set. He said, yeah, I think I do, in the basement of the, of the barn. Sure enough, there they were. So there they were. So here are these casters that were discarded, completely forgotten for years, covered in cobwebs. Now, all of a sudden, they're valuable. Well, the reason why that that happened is because I needed them. (laughs) I wanted them. So we can ask the same question. We go back to how can a dot on a timeline or or just a a little scrap in 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 a universe... How can, have that, how can that be valuable? How can a destroyed city or somebody that feels like they've been discarded or completely forgotten by society, how can they have any value at all? And the answer is, is demand determines value. God wants us. God needs us. Now, I know we come to church and we hear all the time that God loves us and it's nice and we hear it so often we hear it in the scriptures. In fact, we hear it today that God loves us so much that he's like a, it's like a mother loving a, a little child. And that, that God sent his son into the world because he loves us so much to die for us so we, can have, so we can be with God. And we hear all this stuff about God's loving us. And after a while, the, the effects, of the, the, uh, the, the fresh inspired ears that hear this are dulled by the effects of familiarity. We almost don't even hear it anymore. So when you do hear that God loves us, or when you hear Isaiah's first reading today, that's what you're hearing, God loves us. But what I want you to be thinking, what I want you to be understanding, is that demand determines value. The only way you and I can have any value 
I'll make any impact in the world is that God loves us. And the more he loves us, the more our value goes up. Think of that. Now that's important to know that because that's how you live your life. If you believe you're valuable, we'll live our life like it's valuable. 